Bible reading is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Well, I've planned a, a short series on Christmas 2020. And today we're going to start with uh, Christmas in the Garden. And uh, it's talking about the promised beauty out of the great ugliness. Probably not uh, often spoken of in those terms, but really it, there is the promise of great beauty out of great ugliness. And next we will consider from Isaiah 9 verse 6 to 7, what child is this? And the third one will be um, our final Christmas consideration for 2020 is from 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 and uh, I've titled it The Paradox of the Most Beautiful Christmas Tree. But for this morning, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. That's interesting, isn't it? And is safe for you to be reminded of these great truths. Now, I have mentioned to you many times before that the gospel starts in Genesis. The cause of the Bethlehem narrative is not a common theme from many these days. And even the fact of sin and judgment is avoided because it seems an unpleasant topic. There is a great disconnect today between cause and effect. It is said that one should not preach the law, only the love of God. But what does the Bible say? In Galatians 3 verse 24 it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Uh, that word uh, is also translated in other translations like this. The law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we could be justified by faith. In the Greek family structure, there were people called, uh, they were slaves, and there's a big uh, special name for them, who had the responsibility of guiding the children in the way of the family's law or the family's ways. The word means used means a teacher who is especially strict or pedantic. And the law is that, isn't it? In the Greek, uh, sorry, Paul's comparison suggests that God's law provided protection and discipline for Israel until the time was right for Christ to come. The law, be, uh, being the teacher, revealed a big sin problem that Israel could not do anything about. It demanded many blood sacrifices that were temporary in effect, but it could not save Israel. Just think for a moment. Of all the thousands and thousands of bulls and lambs and so on that were slain, think of all the cost of all that just for a start. 
And then remember that it was a temporary thing. They'd do it all again next time round. Because of the law, Israel looked forward in faith to the coming Messiah. Because of the law, we look back to the fulfilment of the law in the Messiah and realize the same truth as Israel was meant to come to. Without Christ, we are all lost and have no hope. But by faith in the Messiah who came to be the promised atonement, our hope is sure and eternal. So why such a system? What necessitated it? What is its end? If you want to know the reason for the existence of something, indeed anything, then go back to the beginning of it. And there you will find the value and the reason for its existence. Uh, Santa Claus, Rudolph, Jack Frost, the Grinch, Ebenezer Scrooge. Well, all of these are in our modern day Christmas, aren't they? And while from each we may be able to draw a few good moral lessons along the way, none deal satisfactorily with the real cause of the need of the coming of Christ. Even though some have been proven to be opportunistic, Christmas is not a celebration dreamed up by clever bankers and businessmen. It was planned by the fount of all grace and wisdom before the foundation of the world was laid. Hear what uh, Paul says in, uh, in Peter in, in a few uh, verses of scripture. In Ephesians 1 verse 4 to 5, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Romans 8 verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And Paul again writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Who saved us and called us to be a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And finally in 1 Peter 1 and 2, he says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Before anything was created, before anything was able to need saving, God planned to send Jesus on his great rescue mission. Many, even Christians, think that Christmas began with the birth of Christ. But no, in God's foreknowledge, it began in the heart of God before the foundation of the world was laid. It first its first reference appeared in the Garden of Eden. So the idea of a cosy fireside white Christmas is as far from the truth as East is from the West. The Garden of Eden was as close to heaven 
on earth as God deemed it to be. Perfect weather, lovely all year round, peaceful garden setting, lots of animals to examine and to choose names for, no hailstorms to wreck that abundant fruit crop, all those lovely flowers, no decay or erosion, wasps, mosquitoes, bees, snakes, spiders. They were just some of Adam's pets. He could have them as pets because there was no threat of harm from anywhere. But the high point of each day was its end. Just imagine what it would have been like to walk with God the Father in the cool of the evening and report to him on the day's activities and the animals he had named during the day. Think of this, Adam. Father, I came across these two animals that amazed me today. One was loud and, and uh, it had great strength, very majestic. And the other was just so quiet and tender. And amazingly, they were playing together with such enjoyment. It was so pleasant to watch them, Father. So I decided I'll name them Lion and Lamb. What do you think, Father? Father. Good work, Adam. I'll use that one day. But all do not stay lovely and peaceful. Something happened that plunged the lovely garden setting into a not-before-seen kind of darkness. The sun still shone, but there was a feeling of darkness. It was filled with rage. This darkness was lonely and scary. It made the world that we see today. This something is the cause of all the heartache the pain, the disappointments, the loss that people experience the world over and generations over. And it's called sin. Adam and Eve forfeited control of the world to Satan when they followed his suggestion and broke God's law. You see, theologians speak of a timeline of planned hope when they describe this empire of sin as a world created inestimably good, ruined by sin, restored by the sun. With the hope of being rescued unto that godly good once again, we must preach the matter of sin. If one does not believe he has broken God's law, and is therefore guilty, he will not see any need for any saviour. If people are constantly fed on unbalanced diet of positive thinking, neglecting to give the whole counsel of God, they will begin to believe that they are the source of goodness. I have heard many refer to themselves as being good enough to get to heaven. The Christian gospel is to them a nice little platitude that is good for only the worst of the worst. 
But they, of course, can easily do without it. Like the rich man spoke, uh, sorry, like the rich man Jesus spoke of in Luke 16, 19 to 31, they will travel their allotted time in this world, enjoying life and experiencing the many blessings of God without thanks or gratitude. And at the time of death, be eternally shocked at the flames of hell that await them. They will then realise that those flames were not meant for them, but by neglecting their personal need of salvation, freely offered by God, have made an eternally regrettable choice. They will forever be plagued with the thought, God's grace was available to me all my life. I did not need to be here, but now there is no way out. My lot is eternally cast. If he could, I am sure that don't come here are the rich man's eternal words to those who still live in the grace of God in this world and can still decide. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 to 4 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. If you have been thinking about your salvation but have done nothing about it, I beg you, do not neglect the matter any longer. You do not have to know everything about God to know God. It is a matter of faith. Come today. Do not delay any longer. The gospel is good news that God so loved the world and hated sin that separates his creation from him that he created a hell for the originator of the rebellion, the devil and his angels, and has made a bridge linking this life with the beautiful eternity of heaven. This bridge is often spoken of as the cross, but factually it is the person of Christ himself, spoken of in Genesis 3.15. God the Father here establishes an expectation of a Redeemer that flows throughout the whole Old Testament and on into the New Testament, a Redeemer that would be a descent uh, sorry, a descendant of Adam and Eve. And when I thought about that, I thought, what hope that must have given Adam and Eve? The terrible guilt that they must have been experiencing, knowing that they were the cause of the beginning of the sinful world. But here, God the Father was giving them hope that from their seed would come a saviour. This hope is yours today if you will receive it. John 1 verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
It is time now for you to stop resisting and give it all over to Jesus by faith, trusting your eternal future to him. At the time when Mary discovers that she is expecting a baby, God's messenger, Gabriel, announces to her that her son Jesus, he will be great, is the words, are the words. He would be the fulfilment of Genesis 3.15 and would crush the head of Satan and make the only way of redemption that would be available to all who would come by faith in Jesus. Your faith can be secured by the Creator God today if you will receive him by faith now. This garden prophecy of the defeat of Satan by the coming Jesus who was to be called Emmanuel, God with us, is the first ray of hope given right at the entrance of sin into this world. This should tell us how important God sees the swiftness of dealing with sin, not delaying it any longer. We do well to emulate that swiftness in dealing with temptation to continue a bit longer apart from the only Saviour. Deal with it swiftly. This Genesis verse, for many, is not easily connected to the advent of Christ, possibly because the early part of the world's history is not often referred to. It is considered not positive to talk about sin, but the redemption narrative is nothing more than a simple child story or platitude without the reason for redemption being made. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to, to something greater to come. Yes, such a celebration is only for those who know of their need of forgiveness, and that it is freely available in Christ. A more commonly known Bible verse about Christmas is Luke 2 verse 11 and it says, For unto us a child is born in the city of David, a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Those blessed shepherds that heard those voices, that, that voice, were surely at the appointed time for the beginning of the fulfilment of Genesis 3.15. They, in a sense, ate the fruit of hope that God planted in that garden all those years ago. Do you eat of such fruit? Are you enjoying that hope of heaven who came a couple of thousand years ago and built that bridge to, to heavenly eternity? You can, and it is for you also. In Revelation 22, verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the Bride... And when I was rereading that recently, it reminded me, yes, it is, the, it is God and the church speaking. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. In the book, the 25 Days of Christmas by James Merritt, he says this, 
Only when we understand the need for a saviour can we finally fully experience the celebration of his birth. So with every Christmas, Christmas movie we watch, every biscuit we bake, every carol we sing and every decoration we hang, let these words echo. I need a saviour and here he is. Will you receive him today? Will you be refreshed in your hope in him today? I pray so. Father in heaven, indeed, we thank you for the great gospel of Jesus Christ that began right back at the beginning, the very entrance of sin and degradation into this world. You were right there ready to meet with it and intervene in the decline of man. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you have done all that is needed for us to be set free from the guilt of our own sin. Thank you for paying the price for me. Thank you for paying the price for each one here today. And we uplift our gratitude to you for all the good blessings that you bestow upon us. The greatest of all is the salvation of Christ. And today we thank you in his wonderful name. Amen. Amen.